Hi, future me. Today I am feeling pretty crappy because I just got my second COVID-19 vaccine yesterday. And for the first time in a long time, I just feel really drowsy and super depressed for no reason at all. But I made a commitment to record this episode, so I might as well do it. Recently, I watched the movie Lady Bird, which was super acclaimed in 2017. I had no idea what to expect from the poster, which is, by the way, this picture of Saoirse Ronan's side profile. I thought it was going to be some movie about a woman going through marriage and divorce or whatever, and there was Timothy Chalamet in the movie, so I was super excited to see his pretty face. But it actually turned out to be a somewhat comedic portrayal of high schoolers. The movie is great, and there are some really funny moments, but I came out of the movie with a slightly cynical feeling. What I learned from the movie is that love is never enough. You know, like Lady Bird and her mother, they may love each other deeply, but their relationship is still so dysfunctional and super unhealthy. Her mother, for example, is constantly passive-aggressive and gaslighting her daughter any chance she gets, from telling Lady Bird that she will never get into her school of choice, condemning her work ethics and telling her that she will never be good enough, to criticizing her clothes, the way she talks about her life. This is extremely demeaning and so unhealthy for Lady Bird as she is growing up and trying to figure out the world. I get that the mother just wants to make sure she has a realistic outlook of life, but to be attacking her daughter with all these unfair comments is so uncalled for. And then on Lady Bird's side, she's borderline manipulative. This shows in her way of dealing with her friends, for example, dropping her best friend to befriend this rich girl so she could get close to a boy that she likes. And, you know... This behavior shows in her way when she deals with her mom, too. When she got into an argument with her mother, she just suddenly opened the car door while the car was in motion and injured herself on purpose, probably to make a point to her mother that she didn't want to listen to her mom's argument anymore. This is very problematic behavior. It's like self-harm to prove a point and gain power. In the movie, it was portrayed with excellent comedic timing by the way, but it's still representative of a distorted sense of self-worth and power. She also takes every opportunity to criticize the life that her parents gave her, from the postal code, the house they live in, and the clothes they can afford. I think for both of these characters, love is not something they are missing, but rather the ability to talk to each other and set boundaries so they can retain their self-worth based on the comment section, which, to be fair, is extremely limited in accuracy. This is an experience that a lot of people have with their parents, and I actually feel really sad about that. I mean, I'm grateful that I don't have parents that tell me I can or cannot get into a certain school, or can or cannot graduate or achieve things. Of course, they have other issues, but I'm already so self-critical, so it would really suck if I had a mother like Lady Bird's mother.
Anyway, the movie made me think of other relationships that I've had in the past where I had screwed up entirely. Not always they are romantic relationships, but sometimes just friendships or roommates that I just didn't even try to work on. For example, I used to have a roommate who would leave dirty dishes in the sink, and I didn't even try bringing up this issue with him. I just gave him silent treatment and passive-aggressive attitude. Maybe, you know, if I just reminded him or talked to him, he would clean up and there would be no issues at all. But because I didn't work on the problem, it just lingered and I eventually moved out and never talked to him again. Taking the way I dealt with this issue and comparing it with what I do at my job, there's a vast difference. At work, my job is exactly to make sure work progresses smoothly and 90% of the time that just means working out differences between people. I have to pick up the phone and set up meetings and talk about issues that arises. I put in so much energy fixing those hiccups at work, and yet I don't even invest a fraction of that energy into some of my personal relationships. So today I want to take the time to be grateful for some of the people in my life who have taken the high road, the extra care, and the appropriate steps to enhance their relationship with me even when I am lazy and careless about it. So I can think of three examples right now. One has to do with my dance partner when our partnership just started. He would book lessons for both of us, but once or twice, he would forget to tell me that the lesson is confirmed. So one time I wrote him a passive aggressive email about how I don't like that he forgot to tell me. And instead of getting mad back at me, he explained that he just forgot and he suggested that we should set up a joint calendar on our devices so that our calendars would sync um, and then we can keep each other informed of our lessons. It worked out great and I am glad he made that suggestion instead of arguing with me. A second example had to do with one of my friends from university who I felt like had dropped the ball on some of the events that our group of friends had been organizing. I think, I don't remember exactly, but I must have blown his head off once for missing an outing, and I can't remember exactly the details. Instead of severing our friendship, he proposed to take me out to lunch one time and listen to what my issues were, and he paid for it too. That gave me a safe space to explain why I was so angry, and I got a chance to listen to his perspective and the things he had been struggling with. I'm super grateful that he took the initiative to fix that problem because nowadays we are still friends and I really enjoy his company. Finally, I can think of a time when I misunderstood a friend who was trying to buy me a Christmas gift as a thank you for letting him stay at my place for a week when he was in a tough spot. To me, it wasn't a big deal, um, but I didn't know that he was looking for a gift for me. Uh, as he was trying to figure out what kind of chocolates to buy me, he asked me a bunch of questions over text, and I got super impatient at him for some reason, and just told him to stop texting me. Even though he was very pissed at me, he still went ahead and bought the gift and brought it to me the next day. It turned out to be a really expensive box of Purdy's chocolates, and only then did I realize what he was up to. We made up by going to for, for lunch one day, and I had the chance to thank him properly. Once again, thanks to him for having the bigger heart and letting me appreciate his intentions. He could have easily just dropped the entire idea and never talked to me again. 
so to relive some of the happier moments of my relationships with people, I want to revisit some of the poems I wrote to the people that I love. They are mostly about the boys I've dated, but they also remind me of some great moments with friends. The beauty of poetry is that when I write them, I don't stress too much about how they sound. I just write free-flowing, grammatically incorrect sentences, and they make sense to no one but myself. So perfect for a future Amy. Here's one from October 2017 that I wrote while visiting Brooklyn, New York. 1111, make a wish that this moment lasts longer and the streets of Chicago keeps extending into prolonged nights that stretch the length of our happiness. Though I know it's back to alive soon when the bus comes and takes us to the train that takes us to the plane and we're lifted again. I keep hoping to replay the songs in our hard heads like this week and this month, but I also don't want to be stuck catching. The feelings we live with are not unique, but that's all we know and cling to and find ourselves even though we're lost in. These lines don't mean much to anyone but us, anyone but our future selves looking back to relive that night. In Chicago, where I want to be where I am, but at a different time when I'm complete, and you're beside me holding me more than your thoughts. So that's why I can't live in the moment, because my body would rather be with you, even when our minds are in harmony and leaves me with no heads, no arms, no torso, no heart that can make me wholesome and true, because my bone and flesh are left in Toronto, where we last woke up and thought this is everything I wanted. In that sense, you don't complete me, but rather reunite me with myself. Later that year, I wrote this next poem, equally about the guy I was in love with, but also about the city I lived in and the people that made it special. On days without you, I take my bike down Balaclava Street and watch the city glow like we did that time. When the neighborhood was asleep, except our minds and hearts that kept urging us to walk into the black sky, embracing us not with warmth, but with tender sanctuary. On days without you, I remember how I fell in love with the city, not because of the mountains and sea, but because of the long walks from Hastings to commercial, the alleys that never end, and the Cadillac's tray that only feet can traverse Couples with arms and fingers interlocked, eyes heavy with love and hope, a child in a car seat, smiling back at a stranger in a bus when both of your uncles stop. On days without you, I don't wish you were here, but instead, I wish you feel the same way about your city as I do about ours, as we are connected not by touch, but by beats, sounds, thoughts, time. Our cities may be different, but we walk the streets the same. Days without you are numbered. I cherish them as much as I let them go. Spend them like necessities to sustain me till the days with you. I've also recently been working on um, a piece by Bach. It's from the Suzuki book number four, and it's called Gavot. The first take I took of this piece was about five months ago, 
have a listen now and you can kind of hear at that time I was still being very careful trying to hit the notes and make sure that everything is clean. And here is me playing the same piece again, five months later. I'm on a budget this month because I spent too extravagantly in the last two months, so I didn't get to go to too many Babati places. I went to Gongcha again after probably two years, and I do not intend to go back, unfortunately. At least not for their brown sugar pearl latte. To Jeonjudan, which was right next door to Gongcha, and had proper brown sugar drinks. Major regrets. <laughs> <laughs> 